So glad to be with you this morning. Hopefully you brought your Bibles. We're going to be preaching through Deuteronomy 34 as we close the sermon series called The Art of the Journey. Through the summer, we've been looking at the life of Moses. We started in Exodus. We spent significant time also in Numbers. And then today, finally, in Deuteronomy as we wrap up this chapter. Hopefully it's an encouragement, an encouragement as we see all that God wants to continue to teach us. The life of Moses then, our life with Christ now. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for a morning to worship, a morning to sing, and to gather be your people. We pray as the kids leave, Lord, that they feel a very central part of this church, that they continue to grow in you. Uh, we pray for those of our community that aren't here today, traveling or sick or absent, Lord, that your presence is with them. And for the men and women, young and old, gathered in this space this morning, Lord, we pray you would open our ears and our eyes, mostly our hearts. We want to see you. We want to know you more. In your great name we pray. Amen. Deuteronomy 34, Passing the Torch, is the title of our message today as we close out the series uh, that's been, I know, very instructive for a lot of us as we've looked at the life of Moses, been really encouraging as we talk about the end of Moses' life, the reality that the end of his life in Deuteronomy 34, at just a surface level, Moses will die uh, not getting the one thing he wants. Moses wanted to enter into the promised land. Today in Deuteronomy 34, he gets right to the edge and he doesn't make it in. We're going to explain both why and the consequences. And then hopefully uh, there's an encouragement here that from Moses' death that teaches uh, on how to live life, how to really live life with Christ at our core. Uh, I was reminded of this nature of like not being able to get this thing that we want most this week because I got relegated to take four kids school shopping. And uh, that's always an exercise in just no. Can I get it? No. But, you know, it, 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 like one kid needed shoes, one kid needed pants. And so we, you know, I'm like the stopwatch shopper. We like ran around, got a few things. And then right across the way, I was like, oh, you know, there's blue sea sushi. Let's go in for a quick bite of sushi. And then we'll be on with our day. We had soccer practice, something, you know, just on the stopwatch. And blue sea, to, to my dismay, along with, you know, rolls and edamame and rice and all these, you know, kind of sushi items, they have introduced that like every 20th item is like this huge cupcake. And so my three-year-old is having dinner and somehow he gets pole position. He's posted up like next to the sushi line. Like there's a huge seat and somehow so many tactical errors as a dad in this story, but that's okay. So my three-year-old's there and he's already kind of a finicky eater and we're kind of talking to us. And then here comes this cupcake, like right in front of his face. And it's larger than life. I don't know where they found this cupcake. And, and he's like, can I? And I'm like, no. You know, and so then this whole like horrible like tantrum of like that's the one thing I want I'm like no we're not gonna eat cupcake for dinner and so you know it passes and like you know the sobbing and the screaming and we filled the restaurant and the problem with the sushi line it just keeps coming that darn cupcake just keep you know like I'm, I'm like someone put blinders on them we're trying to eat I'm trying to get something healthy in them and then next you know here comes that cupcake again and oh I want the cupcake I mean we leave the restaurant screaming hysterics you never ate dinner until uh, later that night. But the point is, in a humorous way, like so often we can see that thing, uh, like it's humorous, like oh, for the three-year-old, oh, how silly, of course you're not going to eat cupcakes for dinner, and then it keeps coming over and over and over again. But for many of us in our, in our lives, in our walk with Christ, we can identify places that maybe we can see where Christ, you know, should do, could open up, and then for many of us, uh, the thing that maybe we want, we won't necessarily get. 
And when we are sold a theology in a modern church that talks about, you know, this ATM God that just kind of gives us the deposit exactly what we want, it's not consistent with the scriptures. Because God's favorite people in the Bible all longed for something, longed to enter into a place that in earth they didn't necessarily reach. And God has something to teach us through their story. Because for Moses, he literally dies after 120 years, after 40 years of walking towards the promised land. In today's text, he dies right on the porch of the promised land. And in this whole Art of the Journey series, as we've looked at all of this arc of Moses' journey, it's this instruction where God continues to teach his people over and over and over again, keep your eyes on on, on the author and perfecter of our faith. Beyond even the promised land, beyond even the manna, beyond even the quail, beyond even the water, beyond even leaving Egypt, beyond the Red Sea. Like in every situation, God's saying, just look towards me and I will take care of you and I will be good to you. And maybe it doesn't look like a cupcake on the sushi line bar, but there will be provision and it will be good. Keep walking. And today's message, as we look at the life of, or the, sorry, the death of Moses, it's meant to be this encouragement to us about how to live life. Moses' death has much to teach us about living well as God's people. And so we're going to look at this arc of Moses' death and these three aspects about what happens at the end of Deuteronomy, the, what happens at the end of his journey, to ultimately get to this hopeful, encouraging place that we have a life to live. And God is calling us to live it well. And live it in such a way that we're passing the torch to future generations that they can also experience Christ. So open your Bibles with me and let's start in the first pointer outline. The first pointer outline is that Moses died without arriving. He died without arriving in the promised land. This is Deuteronomy 34. We're looking at the entirety of the chapter. This is verses 1 through 5. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. And there the Lord showed him the whole promised land before them, the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim, Manasseh, and the land of Judah, as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the whole thing. And then the Lord said to him, this is the land. Moses, here it is. This is what I promised on oath to Abraham hundreds of years ago and his son Isaac and his son Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I've let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And then Moses, the servant of the Lord, he died there in Moab as the Lord had said. The beginning of our outline here is Moses literally died without arriving. It's important to know. Because again, when someone tries to sell us a theology that says that everything we want, we will always have in the life of faith, it's not consistent with the scriptures. Moses longed after 120 years to enter in. Earlier in Deuteronomy, he pushes back to God, like, why can't I get in, can I? But now here at the end of his life, 120 years old, he trusts God. And, and God takes him up Mount Nebo to just remind him, I will always keep my promises. Moses, I will always keep my promises. I promised it to Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob. They, they, from the beginning, they knew that this is where we're heading, but God's timing is not our timing. And yeah, we hear that one a lot around here because it's a consistent theme in the scriptures. We often don't know what God's up to. But while we wait, 
We have opportunity to have our faith fashioned and formed and deepened and growing. And at just a level here, we don't have a ton of time to get into it. Well, why, why couldn't Moses get in? Like, remind me, Scott, from the scriptures, he's 120, couldn't somebody just like carry him in? I mean, is this a physical limitation? It's not. It's actually a consequence of sin. In the book of Numbers, time and time, again, in, in, in Numbers, the people got thirsty, they got hungry, they got frustrated with God's provision. And God, in Numbers 20, tells Moses that he will open a stone and bring forth water. Moses stands before the people and he basically takes credit for what he knows God will do. And he strikes the stone. The stone splits and water pours out. And Moses allows the people to think it's all to his glory. There's a word of caution for leaders in the room. Because if we're not living in such a way that the entire focus is about what God's doing, we're setting ourselves up for sin. Again, it's a different message on a different day, but there are consequences to Moses' action. And God tells him then, Moses, you will not enter in. And we think that's not fair. 40 years, yeah, it doesn't, what about grace? What about second chances? And here in Deuteronomy 34, God is consistent with his word that there are consequences to sin. Moses and the entire generation before that didn't trust that God would deliver them to the promised land. Remember, they could have been done with the promised land after about the second or third year, but they wanted to turn back. Because when we find ourselves in desert places, so often our temptation is to go back, even to places of slavery, even to places of addiction, even places of pornography, and places that we know there's no life here, but we keep going back. And God's saying, don't go back. Don't keep going forward. And so there are consequences to sin. And again, I wish there was more time to expound on it. But ask anyone in the room who's been divorced or survivor of trauma, or grief, or different horrible things, there are consequences when sin occurs. And though we want to live in a magic kingdom world that believes that we'll never have consequences when we hurt people, our consequences impact those we love. And so God was grieved with Moses' previous action, and he does not allow Moses to enter in. But... Here, as Moses, even though he's not going to enter into the promised land, God is good to him. God allows him to see the entirety of the promised land and to know that his journey was not in vain. He's saying, Moses, this is an opportunity for obedience to grow through your desert times of your life. And look, look what's coming. For those you love and those you leave, though, you're, though you have led them well to this point, look how beautiful it is, this future Pass the torch, Moses. And so, Moses dies without arriving. Later, the writer of Hebrews, we had a reading from, uh, lists all these people that die without arriving at their, at their human goals. Abel, Noah, Abraham, Joseph, and now Moses. They all have this heroic faith, but they all died with a sense of incompletion. And at a level, this is our story. 
Every one of us in the room, we, we, get, we, we, we see this cupcake passing by on this sushi line of our life, and we're like, there's pieces of my life. It's my marriage. It's my vocation. It's my calling. It's my family. Like, I don't know what your story is this morning, but for every one of us in the room, young and old, male, female, we can, we can understand that life is differently, it turns out differently than we expect. And this dying with a sense of incompletion that Moses suffers here, God is saying, but I will be good to you. Life turns out differently than you expect, but you can trust me. I was having this conversation after service with someone who was in the first service, and they were reminding me, they're like, Scott, even the longings themselves are a form of blessing. Because how do you know that you were made for more? How is it that you know that you see injustices in the world? You know, this isn't how it's meant to be. We have this eternity set in our hearts for we were made in the image of God. And so even as we long for a better future for ourselves, for our family, for our nation, for our world, it speaks to the fact that God, the creator, has something that we're heading for. And our longings speak towards that which we yearn for. We were made for more than this. But completion in the Christian life often looks different than we would have hoped for. And hear that one again because that's a key theme that we've been repeating through the art of the journey. Completion in the Christian life looks different than we would have hoped for, but it's still good. In the book of Philippians, Paul would write, I am confident of this, Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Life is different, says Paul. But Jesus, I'm going to trust you that it can be good. And ask any survivor of grief in this room, and there are some of us, I'll say, yeah, life has broken our heart at one level, but it's still good at another level. And these things don't cancel themselves out. And it's still good. It's still good. God's saying, trust me, it's gonna be good. And so in order for Moses to get this picture, in this Deuteronomy 34, God takes Moses up Mount Nebo That's this beautiful picture of intimacy with the Father. Like he literally, God walks him up the mountain. Mount Nebo, as he oversees the whole plain of the promised land. I just, I mean, put in your mind of Moses and God. Moses, 120 years old. And God just walking him up there. And this is Mount Nebo here. Imagine God just sitting there with Moses, who probably is tired from the journey, and just said, look at it. It's good. It's different than you would have expected. I know you wanted to go in, but trust me, says God. It's my story, not yours. And I'm going to take care of you. And it's going to be okay, these people that you've led. It's going to be okay. God whispering in his ear, you played your role. You can die now and pass the torch to others to walk in. Because ultimately, it's God's story. Moses doesn't enter the land. Why is that significant for us? It's really significant that we've been studying Moses all summer, and in the punchline, he doesn't get to the promised land. 
And then I took the kids to Pete's Dragon movie on Friday night, this Disney fantasy dragon story, you know, and there's like this buildup at the end where, you know, the writers had done a good job with characterization and you're sure the dragon's going to be captured and whatever. And my, my six-year-old, she looks at me and she's like, I know how it ends. Everything's going to work out. And she's right because she's seen the Disney movies. But the punchline of the Bible, I dare say the punchline of our life sometimes, it doesn't always turn out the way we'd expect. And so here, Moses doesn't enter in. But why is that significant? It's significant because none of us, from, from the, the most faithful and most intimate, none of us are called to completion here on earth. Even Moses here gets to pass the torch to his young friend Joshua, Joshua to lead him into the next story in the book of Joshua of God's continuing unfolding greatness. We are not the stars. It's not about your pastor. It's not about a politician. It's not even about our country. The star of the great drama is one and only Jesus Christ. And it's his story that we're committed to. And this is hopeful for us. When we find ourselves in place like, God, what are you doing here? We can be reminded that though things turn out differently than we expect, God is still good. Listen to this verse from Hebrews 11, verse 39 and 40. All of these people that don't enter the promised land while they were alive, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. And so Moses gets to learn this lesson, to pass the torch Moses, who knew God well and loved God, God says, it's, your time is done. I am the, the star of the show, Moses. And so for us, as we're hearing this this morning, as we're looking from Moses' death to our life, may we be encouraged that our faith should be big. And may we have the courage and the capacity to invest mightily in the lives of others. Because friends, you know this to be true, but let me remind you something you already know that the greatest lives are lived in service to something greater than themselves. That's why they were called the greatest generation. That's why the people, when you look back, the elementary school teacher, the youth pastor, the, the roommate that talked to, about Jesus to you, the people that were great in your faith journey existed for something bigger than themselves. And so as God's people, we're meant to be encouraged even in places where we can't enter the promised land because we can trust that God can do something beyond our own strength, our own capacity. The greatest lives are lived in service to something beyond themselves. And I, I have the best seat in the house for this because oftentimes I get to hear these stories of God doing big things in your life one small story from my experience. When I was in college, I was a, a leader of, of Young Life kids, and there was this certain kid, his name was Keith, and he was kind of disinterested, grew up outside the church, and he would come to Young Life Club, and he was just kind of a, he was a goofy, goobery kid, and I fell in love with, with Keith, and we talked about Jesus, and I'd go pick him up, rain, snow, sleet, hail, and we'd study the Bible at this little coffee shop off Waikiki Avenue with a bunch of other kids. And before his senior year of high school, he traveled with us to Malibu with some Young Life leaders. And at that camp, at Young Life camp in BC, he heard the gospel preached. 
And his life clicked into focus for him. His 17-year-old mind comprehended that my life will be lived in service to something greater than myself. And so the speaker gave kids an opportunity to enter the salvation story. And it's true at Bethany, we're not a church that gives altar calls every week. We're kind of a sanctification church that we don't believe that your faith just begins when you say, Jesus, I want to follow you, but it begins and it begins and it begins and it begins. And every one of us called on this lifelong trajectory of faith. But hear me closely, friends. It begins somewhere. For every one of us, the ark has a beginning point. And in that club room in Malibu, it's called Big Squawka, that day in, in the late 90s, Keith said yes to Jesus, to following him. And I just, I mean, I'm sitting on the ground, and I'm watching this happen. I'm like, oh, God, you're so awesome. Like, this kid's life now is just, it makes sense to him. And he, he walks backstage and, uh, where the speaker was kind of gathering some kids that have said yes to following Jesus and talking about the importance of community and church and studying the word. And, and those of us leaders kind of followed behind. We walked into the room, and he just turned, he grabbed me, tears. Thank you. I couldn't even talk because I hadn't done, like, nothing. It wasn't about me. It was about God. Like, that's always the story that we're called to be participating in, passing the torch that God is on the move. It, it happened here, and it happens here and here, and God wants to continue to write big stories in, in the lives of our children and our neighbors and our coworkers. And I, I'm embarrassed to tell you, I was at a party last night. I've got people in my neighborhood. Can I just, can I, you guys are fine if I'm real with you, right? That's like once a Sunday, I'll just kind of tell you something that makes you lose all faith in me, and then I'll try to rebuild it. So these people in my neighborhood, like we didn't know you were a pastor. I don't think that's a good thing. They didn't say we didn't know you were a Christian. I felt like that's what they were saying. I felt like a little bit of a failure last night. The point is this. You're not the pastor. You're the, the Boeing employee. You're the shipbuilder. You're the stay-at-home dad or stay-at-home mom. You're the teacher. You're the student. Whatever you are, God is calling you. Live your life both accepting the love of Christ for you and passing that torch into the people that you live. And we have this notion that someday later, when I get to the promised land, I will be able to have more time or money or resources or confidence or fill in the blank to speak Jesus' name, and it's hogwash. Today, you have people in your life that desperately need you to shine the light and love of Jesus. So shine it. Pass the torch. Second point of our outline that Moses' death teaches us is that Moses dies strong and remembered. Verses 6 through 8 of Deuteronomy 34. Verse 6, he buried them in Moab. I don't know what version of the Bible you're studying. I'm reading out of the NIV for some gender inclusion here. He, the, the personal pronoun here is referencing God. God buried Moses in Moab. And that's just like this little, you know, this little phrase, but how beautiful is that? God himself buried Moses in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. It's a beautiful picture of faith, isn't it? 
some of you with glasses on are like, wow, I guess I'm already out of God's picture. No, it's not about that. It's like, it's this thing burning inside of you. Moses had this passion burning inside of him. His strength wasn't gone. Verse 8, the Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, and it's time of weeping and mourning was over. Moses died strong and remembered. And I just find that picture of God carrying this 120-year-old man, probably feeble from the journey, who'd spent 40 years in a tent. I mean, I smell bad after three days on the trail, so I can't even imagine, right? But God, like what a picture of intimacy, God himself caring for Moses. We often live like if we don't worry about everything, then maybe it will all fall apart. And this is a reminder, even in the way that God cares for Moses' body, that would mean a lot to a Jewish man 2,500 years ago. God's going to take care of you. God's going to look out for you. God's going to make sure that you get what you need, including a proper burial. And then the whole nation grieves for him. He's 120 years old. There's a group here at Bethany for like the 50 and over set called Indy. I'm not done yet. The inside joke when the people pulled together is like, what we really want to call it is, I'm not dead yet. And it's actually beautiful because this is a group now with over 100 people on their roster. There's a camping trip planned next weekend. They do Bible studies and they do fellowship. But it wasn't a program that the pastor or anybody laid. It was a group of people in that age demographic that says, I'm not done yet. We want to connect. We want to be the church. We want to study scripture. We want our lives to have meaning. And I don't know which third of life you're in, first, middle, or last. Life is purpose. And, and Moses' life here is, is mourned by an entire nation. Yes, a nation that pushed and pulled at his leadership, but, but remembered because he looked to God and saw God face to face. And he was remembered. Uh, sometimes I do this thing when I marry people where you're the audience of the wedding and the husband and wife are... Uh, groom and bride, bridegroom. Yeah, I don't do a lot of weddings. But yeah, so the bride and groom are here. And then I'll do this thing where I'll say, now look out into the audience. And this group won't be assembled again. We did this at your wedding. Until your funeral. And normally everyone's like, oh, buzzkill. You know, and the father of the bride is like, I did not pay for this. Like, what are you doing? Eject, you know. But I'm not trying to be silly and I'm not trying to be fatalistic. But it's kind of true. Unless you belong to a family that does a really good job with the, you know, summer barbecue and everyone comes. I mean, this is what we gather for. The weddings and the funerals. And when I'm saying that to a couple, I'm not just saying it to be silly or trite. I'm telling them, make your life count. Like these people are here as your witnesses. Live your marriage so it matters. Not because of the ring on your finger and not because you'll say you were married for 50 or 40 or 30 years, but because today you choose to love and serve each other. And most of us in the room know that in many days that's a choice. Okay? So... Moses here, and at the end of his life, he, he's lived this big story where now that he's it passed on, the people remember him because he lived well and his faith was big. I'll just ask you a question this morning. 
what does your faith speak of? What would they say at your funeral? What might your epitaph read? I used to be a high school English teacher, and I would literally pass out um, tombstones, not real tombstones, because that would be creepy, but like pieces of paper to high school seniors as we were studying American transcendental literature, and I would, I would I'd say, fill it out. You're 17 or 18 years old. Your whole life is in front of you. What will your epitaph read? And they loved it. At this point in their high school career, they're like, we're tired of worksheets. We want to we talk about meaning and purpose. And what am I doing with my future? And so they would, they would write. You know, it's, it's something with their career. It's how they built a family. It's where they lived. It's their hobbies. And there's such, such passion for living at that time for them. Moses died strong and remembered because he loved God and he loved others. What will they say about you? I, I, I know, actually, because I've both done a lot of funerals and I know a lot of people in this room. There's some great epitaphs being written already in this room. I want this to be an encouragement this morning. But live a big story. Not what might be said then, but how you're living now. Because it's the words that will be written then that you're literally writing with your life now. And finally, the third point of our outline, that Moses died really pointing to the future life in Christ. This is verses 10 and 12. Moses died pointing to Christ, verse 10 through 12 of Deuteronomy 34. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And that should be a goal of ours, that we have a faith where we know God face to face. Who, Moses, who did all these signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh, to his officials, to his land, for no one's ever shown the mighty power performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in sight of all Israel. Some more astute readers kind of hit this point and they get, well, I don't, I don't get this because I thought Moses wrote the Torah and kind of wrote in third person. So who's writing this? It's written postscript. Some suggest Ezra later when Israel resettled Jerusalem. It's a debate between theologians. But somebody here, through God's uh, divining, is speaking about Moses. He's gone and he knew God face to face and he was great. And he lived his life pointing to something beyond himself. How he dies points to the way that God used him. And listen to those words from 10, 11, and 12, that he knew God face to face, that there were awesome deeds, that there were mighty works. I mean, the life that we all imagine, the life that my 17 and 18-year-old students were imagining, they don't, they don't imagine middle management. Right? They don't imagine relationships not working out. They don't imagine difficulties raising kids. They don't imagine aging parents. There's an, there's an optimism at that age, for sure, not grounded in reality. But the scriptures encourage us, like, live our lives with that belief that through our middle management, through our struggling relationships, through these desert places we walk, God is building a future for us of greatness, often different than what we expect full of hard journeys and lonely nights, but God is going to do something in us and through us. How do we know? Because Moses didn't get to go to the promised land, but guess what Moses got in Matthew 17? Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Who was there? Jesus and Elijah and Moses. A thousand years later, Moses got to meet Jesus and be with God himself again. And so the future that God is calling us towards is often 
more beautiful than we might even suspect. Trust God and, and keep walking and keep believing that God can do something with these desert times. I mean, do you ever wonder why God, in, God creates the whole world and, and, and does about 2,500 years in one book of Genesis, and then he spends the next four books of the Torah in the 40 years in the desert? I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? Thousands of years go by in Genesis, and then the next four books of the Bible, God says, slow down. Because through this hard journey of the people of Israel, I'm going to teach you something. The journey can be challenging, but it can be beautiful. Point your life towards Christ. Don't go back to places of slavery and confusion and loneliness and disobedience. Continue to point your life towards knowing God face to face. I mean, I love teaching the American Transcendentalists, and back to my teaching years as a high school English teacher, and we would throw quotes on the wall from Henry David Thoreau and Ralph Waldo Emerson. Live your life, you know, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Live the life you've imagined. I think that's Emerson. You know, every heart vibrates to that iron string. It's, you know, that's, that's Thoreau. But the problem is, is you can go to Concord, Massachusetts, and walk Sleepy Hollow Cemetery and see the dust and bones where Ralph Waldo Emerson lays. You can walk around Walden Pond where, where Thoreau lived. They're gone. There's only one place, one rock on which to focus our attention. Right? No human, no politician, no amount of money we accrue, no more to, uh, kind of vocational satisfaction. Our life will have meaning as we pursue intimacy with Christ. And as we know that, we're encouraged this morning to be passing the torch and helping other people experience the truth of Jesus Christ. This is Philippians 3, where Paul writes, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. This is the torch we pass, friends. This is this thing that we have to offer to younger generations, to kids we're discipling, to roommates, to people. And I know we, we don't feel like the right torch passers because we know our own brokenness, we know our own weakness. But the gospel is calling us to be people wide awake for opportunity, to spread the news that God is building a future and a purpose for people's lives, where the lives matter. And he's not done with us. I had this guy on my couch at the junction. He came to, to meet and pray with me about six months ago. And, and obviously, be confidential, we'll call him Bill. And, and the story was a hard one. Infidelity, addiction, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Loneliness. Where is God? Uh, is, is God okay with these decisions, that decisions? And I just said, hey, Bill, I'm, I'm going to pray. His name is not Bill. So I'm going to pray for you most mornings. I'm going to trust for God to save you. I don't think God wants to leave you in this current condition. This doesn't look like promised land living. A couple weeks ago, he called me up. He's like, hey, can we meet? Like, I went, to, I went to rehab, man. And I was listening to these Moses sermons. I got to tell you, God's doing a new thing in me. And I moved home. I stopped drinking. And I feel like for the first time in years that I'm heading towards a brighter future with God at the center. 
I just, I want to fall out of my chair. I warned you. I told you guys I had the best seat in the house. Some of you this morning need to be reminded your life still matters. And that God's not done with you. No matter what addictions you're facing, whatever loneliness, what brokenness. Some of you this morning like, I got nothing. I got no light shining in. God, the light of the world, wants to remind you this morning your life has purpose and meaning. And others of you this morning, God's encouraging you, pass the torch, you know this. Like that, that thing that you just said, I just said, you're like, got it, I know. God's saying, tell others, pass the torch. There are people in your community right now. There are kids you can, you know, here at church or with Young Life, for those of you that are teachers, pass the torch. Parents, I know you're busy, but spend some time opening up God's word and pass the torch. Husbands and wives, lay your life and pride down and pass the torch to one another. In our workplaces, may we be lifting Jesus up in simple, obedient ways. You have no idea the story that God's writing with you. So shine on and believe that God has a purpose today, not just then, but now. God's light in you, God's light being passed off to people around you. Will you pray with me now? Father, thank you so much for a chance to worship this morning and be reminded of Moses' story. It's amazing. God, we want to know you like that. We want to we go up on the mountain with you, Lord. We want you to show us that our life has purpose. And we recognize that oftentimes we will, will not enter into the fullness of things exactly how we anticipate. But our life is valuable. And God, you're doing something with us. Or for those of us this morning that need to be just reminded that you're not done with us and that you have this radical purpose for our life, please, Lord, shine that light into darkened places. Some of us in the room this morning are clinging to the last shreds of hope we've got. God, we need you to shine in and give us the courage to speak to people around us if we're feeling lonely, express the need. And Father, others, you just want to encourage them this morning Moms, dads, shine your light. Preach Jesus in your home. Bring your kids to church. Ask them what they learned. Make it last into Wednesday and Saturday night. Teachers and people leading kids and youth in our community, shine your light. And may the light be Christ and not your own glory. Every one of us on mission, every one of us on purpose, every one of us saying, God, though we're incomplete and though our journey is different than we anticipated, you're doing a new thing in me. Give me the courage that my neighbors would know that I love you, God. Write a big story in my life that speaks of your glory. In your great name we pray. Amen.